As a business and leadership mentor, wife, and mom, I know that building a legacy business as a high-performing female entrepreneur can be overwhelming when you play many demanding roles in your life. But you know what? It doesn't have to be that way. You can be a powerful, high performer in your career, plus enjoy a fulfilling marriage and be a great mom all at the same time. Join me and my guests every week to get the inside scoop on what it really looks like to build a high growth business while living a life truly aligned with your family and personal values. Hey, hey, welcome back to the show. I have my online friend who I finally got to meet in person and give her a big old hug in Las Vegas, Nevada, Natalie Bullen. Welcome to the show. I am so excited. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm so, I'm just so grateful for you and honestly, like your presence in the online space, your honesty, your integrity. Um, and then getting to meet you in person, I saw you walk into the room. It was at the lunch table. I saw you walk into yeah. the room and I was like, is that Natalie? Cause sometimes, you know, it's like, I feel like I see her all the time online. Is that really her? And I'm going to introduce myself and just got to hug you and love on you for a little bit. It was too short because I didn't see you again after lunch. Yeah. I'm like, I, I was in and out. Well, I looked at you and thought, I think that's Megan, but I'm used to you blonde in your profile photo, like really blonde. So I said, well, now, now I'm not sure. Oh, I have been tricking a lot of people because for 40, well, I'm 41. I started coloring my hair brown when I was 40 and a half. So it's tricking a lot of okay. people. So it's been blonde a long time. So I'm not crazy. Okay. No, you're not crazy. And so I have had people, Natalie, I've had people come up to me that I have known for years. And again, look, when you're online, I say this to people and I meet them in person all the time. I'm like, I feel like we've met each other in person before or Same. like we've, we've hung out together in person because you almost feel like you've done that. But I'm telling you, there are people who I've known for years that I have met in person and spent time with multiple times, not like a best friend, obviously. And they, I was at another event right before Las Vegas and somebody came up to me and introduced themselves. And I was like, literally, I was like, are you serious? I was like, it's Megan. Had you had those abs out, baby, we would have known who you were. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Well, I'm glad you're here. We're going to have a super valuable, Might we might both get on our soapboxes because we're both those kind of people when we get together. So get ready. Listener, uh, for <laughs> Natalie to bring the heat and the truth because she, she will. So Natalie, um, introduce yourself. Tell us a little about, a little bit about you, your expertise, your business, and then we're going to dive on in. Yay. Um, my name is Natalie Bullen. I own Unapologetic Wealth. That is my baby. It is a coaching and consulting firm, really, that helps women generate wealth. I've spent years in sales coaching and sales consultancy and Frankly, neither of those words do it justice. I am a revenue acceleration coach in every sense of the word. So whatever is keeping you from making money faster, I like to compress that for people. And I do a damn good job at it. I'm securities licensed in my prior lifetime. I was a financial advisor. Before that, I was in outbound sales. I have had thousands and thousands and thousands of no's. So your little rejection don't hurt me, boo. Um, I'm team on to the next team, make lots of money, team, make your clients really happy. I firmly believe that when women hold more wealth, the world is a better place. 
And I exist to debunk ridiculous myths and to eradicate statistics like how in 2020, the average woman-led Black-owned business only grossed $24,000 the whole damn year. Wow. So as long as statistics like that exist, unapologetic wealth will exist. Yes. Yes. Well, I hope you're going to be in business for a very long time and turn that 24000 into $2.4 million and $24 million and $24 right? million. Right. Because that's what yes. we deserve. And it's it's when I found out that the wealth gap, the gender gap gets larger when women go into business for themselves, I knew we were in trouble. Oh, that yeah. was shocking data for me. Because yeah. we've been blaming patriarchy and men and HR. We've been, who's to blame? When we go into business for ourselves, we still undercharge more than when we worked in corporate. And so there's so much unlearning from a societal level that we have to do. And I am really good at helping people unlearn it. And I embody what a lot of people want to do, which is be unapologetic about their money. I don't care if people think my prices are too high or my requirements are too stringent or, or any of those things because I know what I'm called to do and who I'm called to serve. And that's more um, important than certain people's temporary discomfort, mm-hmm. which is usually discomfort about themselves. It, it usually has nothing to do with me. Yeah. Yeah. You are someone who is extremely confident in who you are. You have very strong self-worth. You know how valuable valuable you are. You know whose you belong to. I'm curious because you and I both see, you know, we're both women. We also work yeah. with a lot of women and we, yeah. we all know that women, we second guess ourselves. We think we're not good enough. We have all the stories until the cows come home. I'm just curious. Have you always been this version of you that I see and I'm talking to today? Or did you have to work to build your self worth or work to be confident? Because I'm sure that you also pass this along to your clients who work with you too. For sure. You know what? I'm really blessed. My mom is the pillar of Christian strength. My mom is, I, I, I really don't have words. She was a Black Panther. She divorced my dad when I was two, um, because he was in street life and not doing what a husband or a father should do. He had PTSD from the military and was acting out in some really unsavory ways. And my mom was like, not around my child. Mm -hmm. And she's been bold and courageous. And she passed that on to me. You know, when I was eight, I would get bullied in school because I was fat and I was nerdy and, you know, I had glasses and, you know, kids are kids. And so my mom is an educator. So she was a school teacher, later became an assistant principal. So, you know, you're... Yeah. See, yeah. So you're yeah. an educator parents. It's, and my grandfather. Why we get along? My grandfather was a teacher for over 45 years. His mother, yeah. Mary, was a teacher for over 50 years. Um, Mary's father was a teacher, and Mary's father's father was a slave. So that's what the Campbells do. The Campbells teach. Yes. Okay. Yes. I'm the first Campbell to not be a middle school teacher. You're well, looking at you're the teaching first. though. You created your Agreed. own. Agree. I still ended up being a teacher, ironically. Yeah. So I went to my mom's book case and I found this book called Please Understand Me. And I didn't know at the time, but it was a Myers-Briggs um, book and assessment. And I took the test and it gave me a, a you know, four-digit code. It gave me like an INTJ or something. And so I read what that personality type was. And it was just so sad and miserable, Megan. It was just like, you're a pushover. You're a sad person. You're sensitive. 
You know, I mean, I'm not saying it said those words, but in my mind, I was just like, crap, no wonder I'm getting bullied. Like I'm literally bully fodder. I'm so soft. And so I read the entire book. I reverse engineered the test to the type that I thought would be the most successful type of person. And I said, well, how would that person have answered this test? And then I started behaving that way. Yeah. And I literally became too, like, I pushed back on the bullies and they literally left me alone. I was like, this is the smartest thing ever. So I learned from an early age, one, that everything you need to know is in a book. Two, that people will only treat you the way that you allow them to treat you. And three, that people are terrified of confidence and they will always pick a weaker target. So up until maybe I was eight or nine, I was I was soft. But after that point, this is Natalie. As a matter of fact, I probably mellowed out over the years. Oh, okay. Well, I like this version of you, so keep it up. I've got a question for you on your thoughts, observations. I'd like to hear it from your your perspective from being an observer of working with a lot of people and also having colleagues and peers as well. You you bring up this whole personality test. You took it when you were a child. You know, it basically looks like you're a doormat going to get walked over. You figured out which one you thought you needed to be (laughs) successful. You reverse engineered it. (laughs) I have a feeling your IQ is a lot higher than mine. (laughs) Uh, But let me ask you this question. And there's, I'm going to give a little backstory on on why I want to talk to you about this. And I'm so curious. I I have a friend um, that I've had for a long time. She is a psychiatrist or psychologist, one or the other. And I took a psychology test with her in 2017. The only way you can take it is if it's administered to you by a licensed psychologist. And then I retook it with her five years later and we, you know, compared the two. And then at one point, you know what I did? I think this is maybe five years, four or five years ago, maybe four years ago. I noticed, I started noticing that certain clients I was working with were getting better results than others. And then I also recognized I felt like I worked better with certain clients than others. And I thought like, what is going on? And I was like, do I have a personality disorder? Is something wrong with me? I'm going to call my friend and I'm going to have her give 10 of my clients this personality assessment. And I picked my 10 like best performing, top performing clients that I felt like I could lead just more easily than I could others. And it wasn't about picking favorites. And then we had a group call where she basically shared with us the assessment. So I'm curious with you, do you believe that there are certain personality traits that lends itself to entrepreneurial women being successful, maintaining that success versus being on the struggle bus for a very long time? What role does yes, it play do. in our success? Yes, I do. And this is such an interesting question. And now I'm like, why didn't I do that? I had pe- my people take Enneagram. So now I'm intrigued. Um, My most successful clients, Enneagram, are typically three or eight. Three is the achiever. Eight is the challenger. I do attract quite a few ones, the perfectionist, but they really struggle. People mm. with perfectionistic tendencies are terrible in sales because there is no perfect sales call. There is no perfect pitch. There is no perfect webinar. You could always do better. And perfection is the opposite of progress. So if we're talking about traits that I think help people, 
I don't think it's extroversion, introversion. I don't think those matter at all because I'm an introvert. I like to read books at night by myself. Right. So I don't, I think that's BS. And when I meet people, they're like, oh, you only work with extroverted people. And I'm like, that's not true. But I think grit or resiliency, mental toughness, being able to do something that maybe you don't particularly want to do. I think certain personalities or certain people have the grit to keep at something, even though they don't want to do it. Like you've done 75 hard. Even if you're a fit person, that's hard. You don't want to go outside when it's cold outside or when it's sunny outside. Like you did it anyway. Like that kind of, that kind of grit, I think makes, at least in my world, that makes people successful. The clients I have that are like, look, I don't have a plan B. (laughs) This is it. Those people tend to do well. To that end, I think there are some socioeconomic factors. My clients who are breadwinners, always do better than the ones who have husbands who are making so much money that they practically don't have to work. Yes, at all. I've seen that too. Like, I've seen that. And I'm not saying that a woman who's got a rich husband can't be successful in business. I'm not saying that. A, they aren't attracted to me. And B, they know they don't have to make money with this thing, right? They've got a long runway of make it work. And uh, th- if, if they never close a client, who cares? So you'll meet people who haven't made a sale all year we don't have that luxury. <laughs> like we can't not close business every single month. We might have one slow month, but it's not going to be, we have the impetus to move. I think that I won't say materialistic people. That's not the word I'm looking for. Ambitious isn't the word I'm looking for. People who have a big vision for their life and they know that the things that they want cost money. Mm-hmm. Like whatever it is that they desire, they want a nanny, they want an au pair, they want a home chef, they want to put their kids in private school. Like people who have accepted that the lifestyle they prefer is an expensive lifestyle, that that lifestyle is going to cost 10000 plus to live, do better. I do mm-hmm. better with people who live in high cost of living areas. If your mortgage is $800, you aren't very motivated to sell because you can pay yourself 3000 bucks a month from your business and be fine. People who live in Hawaii, D.C., San Fran, they're paying $5,000 a month in mortgage. Those clients show up. Um, I also do well with clients who like to talk. What does that mean? Talk to people in general, like people who like to hear themselves talk. Like me, I like to talk. So I'll go on live. I'll do a podcast. Like People who are verbal processors and, and like to use lots of words tend to do better with me as well. I don't tend to do very well with people who are shy because it's hard for me to extract enough information to figure out where they want to go. Like coaching is not the same as some other modalities. Coaching is bringing what's in you up to the surface. But if you've got fear, issue, anxiety around people finding out who you really are and bringing your personality to the surface, how do you become great at sales? How do you become great at Marketing, like the things that I teach people is predicated on a certain amount of moxie, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, intelligent people tend to do better with me. Um, although I will say people who aren't as intelligent tend to be more audacious. So they don't typically hire me. They go to the bros. They hire Russell Bronson. They get in those yeah. kind of camps. But yeah. mediocre people tend to be really confident. Yeah. They're just not my kind of client, but they're really confident and they're like, they don't get the hangups. Like sometimes we're too smart and we want to analyze everything and yeah. think more than we do. But if you do more than you think, you're perfect for me. Yeah. Okay. You mentioned that you give your clients, 
you have your clients take the Enneagram mm-hmm. and your most successful clients tend to be threes and eights. Yep. How do you use the results of their Enneagram inside of the program to help them become as successful as they can be? And I'll piggyback. Are there any, is there anything else that you use to figure out how to best serve a client? Mm, I like that. Um, I, I have a quiz as well that gives people their sales personality type. And I use them both to try to strengthen their weaknesses and outsource or, I mean, strengthen their strengths and outsource or eliminate their weaknesses. So if you come to me and you're an Enneagram three and you take my sales quiz personality test, which gives you the personality of a teacher, right? My teacher types like to talk are very intelligent are experts. They are lifetime learners. The problem is they talk too much on sales calls. They talk too much in webinars. They give too much information and their clients either think, oh, she's giving me so much information. I don't need to hire her or she's giving me so much information. My brain is on fire and now I can't do anything because I'm paralyzed. Right. If I take that with your Enneagram three achiever, which means you need to be perceived as externally successful. So I'm an eight. The eight needs intrinsic motivation. I challenge myself. See, threes, the the biggest difference I've learned from the three and the eight is the impetus of the success. They're going to be successful either way. It's the why they want to be successful as to whether they get categorized in a three or an eight. So I'll look at that and go, okay, how can we take your strengths, which are teaching, learning, being articulate, being a good listener, caring about people deeply, wanting to succeed desperately. And then how can we outsource the stuff that like you're prone to fall into the cracks, right? Maybe showing up for other people more than you show up for yourself or having a fear of rejection, which is why you don't put your offers in the forefront. And maybe that's setting up automations. Maybe I need to partner with one of my sales consultants that does like CRMs around how can you eliminate or automate the things that you aren't going to do or you aren't going to do well. And then how do we maximize what's great? I'll probably put you in a webinar funnel, uh-huh. <laughs> right? Is <laughs> Because that would really play well to your strengths. All I have to do is make sure you have the right slides and we practice what you say and you're going to do great because you're a teacher. You're used to a curriculum. You're used to a lesson guy. I'm going to give you yes. a sales lesson guy. We're going to go off. But if you're not that kind of person at all, like if you are a different Type. If you come back on my sales quiz as the closer, a person who doesn't like chit chat, doesn't like small talk, you know, wants to get straight to the point, wants to pitch immediately, but isn't building the rapport on the front. Well, then maybe we need to look at how do we automate the rapport? How do we set up nurture sequences or emails to get people warm? So by the time they get on the phone with you, they're anticipating being closed Mm -hmm. and you're not so off putting to them. So mm-hmm. that is my strategy is to to mitigate wherever the 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 sinkhole is for that personality type. Everyone has a a place where they have a weakness and what I find is that most people try to strengthen their weakness. I'd rather we just move around it. Frankly, like I just I don't see the the use. I think if you're in your zone of genius and I can put you squarely in your zone of genius, you'll make enough money to where we can hire out your zone of mediocrity, yeah. instead of trying to like partner and meet you in your zone of mediocrity and go, okay, you're really terrible at writing copy. Let me teach you how to get better at it. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. Let me just write the copy for you or let me just vet you and find you a copywriter and let's work on the stuff that you're excellent 
at. But even that, I think women are so like modest, like we're trained by society to be humble. It's hard to get women to admit what they're excellent at. Like you ask a woman, what is your zone of genes? What are you better at than anybody? Yeah. They are very reluctant to tell you. They're like, well, I don't know about better than anybody, but I'm okay at such and such. So it's like, no, you're doing something. Come on, come on. We charge $20,000 for this program. It better be great. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Like that, you know? So I I am just thinking the listeners may be thinking, okay, if I have a group program and I have 30 people, 50 people, 75 people, 500 people, 5,000 people in my program, are you expecting me to like individualize and personalize based on personality and strengths inside my program? Because, you know, Natalie, the biggest thing that I always hear, and you know, the work that I do in the world, people have such a fear that it's got to be I've got to be able to scale. And if you're telling me to do something that's individualized or personalized, I can't scale. So I would love to hear your perspective on that. I think, first of all, if I had a program that large, I would have a program director. I would have multiple cohort. (laughs) Like under no circumstance would I be trying to corral 500 people all at one time. I've seen programs like that. I've been in a program like that. It was not pleasant for anyone involved. Um, But I also think it depends on how homogenous your group is. I had a group program that was very successful. And because of the way that I marketed it and positioned it, I attracted a lot of similar types of people. I mean, pretty much everybody in that container was at a certain revenue level, had been doing business for a certain amount of years and had a similar type of perfectionistic tendency. I've never run a program that literally had the gamut of every type of person in it. But I have seen memberships like that. And I would tell someone this. You can let people self-assess and then give them a roadmap based on that assessment. I was in a membership that was maybe $99 a month or something. I was with Positive Intelligence. You took a quiz yourself and then it let you know where your saboteurs were. And then it put you in pods and gave you information based on the outcome of the quiz. It was all automated. Yeah. So by the time I ended up in a group with people, it was a group of like similar people. Right. I was put in the group because of the way that I answered the question. So I think, I think there are ways to make sure that your people get a result that aren't predicated on this has to be individualized for every single person. Yeah. Most of my work is one on one or small group. So I have the luxury of being able to get to know every nook and cranny of my people. But I do think that there are ways to ensure that people are moving along in a steady state if they're all in a group together and that they also feel like there's some personalization. I was in a a group, I can't remember her name, but she did a program called the Slumber Party. And there's maybe 2,500 people in it. It was real cheap, Black Friday. You know, I did it as a tester to see if I kind of like this woman because, you know, anyway. Um, There were 2,500 people in this group. It was all asynchronous. There were no calls. But in the beginning, you got a quiz. And based on the outcome of the quiz, she gave you tasks. So I was given different tasks than someone who had a different business model or answered the questions differently. So when I got to the course portal in Kajabi, I didn't go to start here. I went to here are the two activities she told me to. So I think there are lots of clever things that you can do even without calls because I thought it was interesting that hers was completely asynchronous. Um, 
I will also say too, scale doesn't always have to be a group program, which you know this, mm-hmm. but I think there's also this myth of that has to be it. You can have a certification program. I know people making mm-hmm. multi-millions with very successful licensing deals and certification programs where they certify people in their method. Now, do they certify everyone? No, you got to be a real specific type of person to make it work. But I think not having any customization in your group program is flawed. I think you've got to do something that gives people a semblance of um, onboarding. Hey, we know who you are. We love you. We care about you. We appreciate you. And here's how you start. And here's how you succeed. And here's how you grow. And here's how you check in. And here's what to do if you're not getting progress. And here's where to go if you need some support. So if you're planning on growing something really large, having that that buffer matters. I was in a really big group program, a mastermind, two program directors and a mindset coach and a, I won't say a prophet, but like a Christian, I'll pray for you type coach. Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. So like, depending on the kind of help you needed, you just fill out like a jot form. And this was high level. This was a five-figure investment. So if you've got something less expensive, this might not work. But when I joined, I got a kickoff call with the client success manager. That's what they call their program director. They let me know where everything was in the portal. Um, They made sure that I put the in-person retreats on my calendar so that I didn't inadvertently book something else and miss them. Um, And then I showed up to the calls. And if I ever got stuck, I filled out a form. I, I think there's lots of good options to get some level of personalization in your programs, even if you aren't the one doing it. Yeah, I love it. And and look, it could be automated or it could be people yeah. are doing it, one or the other. Yeah, one or the um, other. I mean, it just depends on the size of your program as to what's going to make sense. Yes, I uh, met a guy not too long ago, a few months ago. My business partner and I are in a real estate investing mastermind because about hmm. 80% of the people in the mastermind, not only are they doing REI, but they have education and coaching businesses in the real estate investing space. And there's a guy who's kind of like, kind of at the top of the mountain, if you will. His name is Pace Morby. He has over 20,000 students, which he doesn't call students. He calls them community members or industry leaders inside of his programs. And at our conference in September, he spoke from stage and his whole talk was about community. And he said one of the things that he has figured out over time, now he did not do this before he had clients in the program, but it's as you have clients coming in, to your point, it's like, if you want to go big like that and have over 20,000 people inside of your coaching and education programs, you've got to figure out the best directions for people to go. He, He has figured out, he's built 22 different avatars. And every single one of his clients, new clients that comes in, they fit in one of his avatars. And one of the examples that he gave us from stage, he goes, why would I ever teach a stay-at-home mom who's been a stay-at-home mom for years to pick up the phone and cold call like 250 calls a day for her way of marketing to build her real estate investing business? He's like, stay-at-home moms don't cold call. So why would I ever teach them to do that? Even though calling it's in his curriculum, right? This is, they have access to it, but she's not going to be successful that way. And that's exactly what you're talking about. It's really looking at, I don't care how many people are in your program. Our job is to deliver on what we sold to the people who purchased it. As long as they're not abusive to us and to our clients and as long as they're showing up, but it is our responsibility, job and duty 
to make sure we have the right tracks and we're guiding people in the right direction. Based on, that's it. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. And how I'm going to be successful because I'm the same way. If I bought a real estate investing program, I'm probably not going to be your candidate who's going to sit, sit here and cold call. So don't tell me to do that. Figure out, figure out who I am and my strengths. To your point, what are my strengths? What's in my wheelhouse? And immediately put me in the direction of my wheelhouse because I'm also going to have quicker wins and I'm going to yes. build my confidence so fast Faster. because I have the evidence of the action that's producing the results quick. Agreed. But yeah. I think this is what people miss. And this is my soapbox. My soapbox is the give them the, the what, but not the how. I hate that. Or the sell them what they want and then give them what they need. I think it's the craziest crap ever. If your program is cold calling, say that on the sales page so that I can make the determination myself if I'm actually going to pick up the phone and call strangers and try to get them to wholesale their home. Yeah. Like, tell me that from the beginning. And there's such a duplicitous kind of sneaky marketing going on out here as though we aren't selling to adults who are intelligent, who don't have master's degrees and millions of dollars that we're selling to people who are 12 or something. I don't know. This whole sis, you know, market it this way. But then when they get in the program, tell them the truth. Tell them the truth on the sales page. If mm-hmm. your methodology is only, when I first started off coaching, I had one methodology. One, okay? You do it my way or the highway. I had one methodology and I was honest about it, right? I was super yep. honest. You're going to get in the DMs and you're going to ask people for money. That's what we're going to do, okay? When you show up to calls, that's what I'm going to ask you. How many People, have you gotten into DMs, right? I didn't pretend like that's not what I did. I gave people the opportunity to say, you know what? That doesn't sound like something that will work for me. Now, as the years have gone on and I've gotten more nuanced and I've gotten better at different modalities of selling, now I can say, well, look, if you want to sell webinar, VSL, you want to run ads, you want to do one-on-one sales calls, you want to do, if you want to do any eight of these techniques, I got you. Yes. But when I only had one technique, I told people it was just one technique. I didn't trick them into this program and then tell them they failed when they couldn't or wouldn't do it. I think it's so important to be honest about the how. And I don't know why we've started to veil the work that it takes. And then those same people go on Facebook and go on Instagram and say, people won't do the work. And it's like, well, you hid what the work was. Yeah. You made it seem really simple and easy. And then you get them in this program and it's really complex and convoluted. No and wonder they're not doing the work. And then we blame the client. Go yes. online. The clients aren't doing the work. It really pisses me off. And yes. I am blessed, Megan. I'm not going to tell you I have all the money in the world, but I could make a bad $10,000 investment and it would not hurt me or my business. Right. Like nothing catastrophic would happen if I lost $10,000. That's enough to put some people out of business. That's yeah. enough to put some people out of their homes. So we, we really? cannot at this level of investment blame the client for not getting results. If half of your cohort didn't get a result, your program sucked and exactly. you need to do something about it. It wasn't that 50% of your clients didn't do the work. It's that the work in your program is unattainable for 50% of the people who trusted you with their money. Exactly. You need to do something about it. I would coach someone until they got a result. I could never see myself going, well, you paid for six months. It's been six months. It's not my fault. You didn't make any sales. Have a good luck. And I see it all the time. People come to me and go, I failed in my last coaching program. 
that's unlikely. <laughs> that is unlikely. It is more likely that the curriculum didn't lead to learner outcomes or that it was sold incorrectly. There's a really big popular group now that calls itself a coaching program. It's really a networking container with a course. Mm. They are determined to call it coaching. And then when people feel like they failed or they didn't get coached, they gaslight them and say, well, you just don't know what coaching is. You just didn't know there was no coaching in this container. This was a container to meet other aligned peers and to click through modules in a course. Neither of those two activities constitute coaching. So there's so much out here. And like, I am humble enough to admit Every program I've had has not been immediately successful. You tweak it, you fix it, you extend it, you do what you need to do to make it right. I could never imagine letting people out into the world that trusted me with money that I knew didn't get a result and I did nothing about it. So yeah, it's, it's the onus is on us to ensure that when people trust us with their payment and their time and their energy and their reputation and their livelihood that we step up to the plate and say, let me make it the path of least resistance. And at this point, I've come to this this solution. If I only get paid, if you get in my program and do the inner and outer work to succeed and get a result, would I still take you as a client? If the answer is no, I would not take the risk that I only get paid if you get a result, then I just won't take you in my program. Exactly. Yeah. So much of this conversation that we're having, you know, if you're letting people into your program and you're not really servicing them the way that they need to be serviced, or, you know, you're the sales expert, if you're letting the wrong people into your program, it's impacting client success, it's impacting client retention, which therefore impacts client referrals and the possibility for you to have a profitable, sustainable company long-term. And I know uh, so much of your belief about retention starts with, maybe even prior to the sales call. What do you mean by yeah. that? Yeah, um, I think client retention starts in your messaging and your marketing. It starts in the 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 client journey. So we know the client journey, basic five steps are awareness, consideration, intention, purchase, loyalty. In that awareness phase where people become aware that they have a problem and they become aware of your business, that's where retention starts. Because if you do not accurately assess your program, their problem, where they're at, why they got there, who they are, what's important to them. If you mislead people in your messaging, I got in a weight loss program once that was very misleading. It was very, you're not really going to have to exercise very much. We're going to focus on your nutrition. We're going to cut out these inflammatory foods. It sounded really good. Get in the program and all of a sudden they're giving you appetite suppressants. Oh. They have a very restrictive diet where you couldn't eat fruit. You couldn't eat whole grains for like the first four weeks. I'm like, wait a dog. I can't eat quinoa. Come on. (laughs) It's like a superfood, man. It's like a protein and a grain. It's like a complete meal. Come on, you mean I can't eat kiwi. You can't have a, I can't have an apple. Come on, I can't have an apple for four weeks. I mean, I can see grapes or bananas. An apple with the skin on, they're like, nope, not happening. I say this to say you get people in your messaging and you lure them. And so as I move through the awareness stage as a buyer, and then I move into consideration, 
Don't just have me considering paying you. Have me considering, do I have enough time on my calendar to make this work? Well, I wouldn't know because you wouldn't tell me how much time I need. So if you know your program is intensive and it takes four hours a week, then maybe you shouldn't market it to busy moms of sex tuplets. <laughs> maybe you should, not. Right? Like maybe you should come out and say, this is a comprehensive system that requires all-in mindset and four hours a week of dedicated work. Just tell people the truth, right? Like let people know up front what the work is involved and how they can succeed and what they need to have done. You know, I had a client who came to me after failing in a coaching program. Now, whenever somebody tells me they failed in a program or they didn't get results in a program, my ears perk up on a sales call because I need to understand was this a poor expectations that got said or I just need more information. And eventually she told me, she said, you know, I didn't realize how intensive the work was going to be around my mindset and, and the healing and the, the program was very intense and I was not expecting that. But when I went on the coach's website, she's on the beat with a mojito and a bikini with a fine man in the cabana behind her. Like she is living the life. And so I'm like, well, with this kind of marketing, I could see why you would not have been expecting an intense, difficult, right. hours long catalog full of videos, weekly homework, monthly check-in, daily activity, boxer support. I could see why you were overwhelmed because it was a bait and switch. She sold you on a luxurious, soft life era kind of thing. And then she put you into, you know, boot camp. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, and so she was like, well, Nellie, is your program like boot camp? Hell yeah. <laughs> so Tell them. Better you know, but I was like, but I tell people that the truth, I tell people how much work it's taken me to get to this point. And if you want to accelerate your revenue, you're probably going to have to either do something different or something more intensely than you've done before. If, if I come to you and say, I've put on a lot of weight, I have a lot of adipose tissue, I have a lot of visceral fat. You probably said, well, now you're going to have to do something different than you're doing now, or you're going to have to do what you're doing now at a higher intensity. Mm -hmm. Nothing else really makes sense, <laughs> right? Like it's, it's usually one of those things I find that in the business coaching space, we really just aren't honest enough. So yeah, I think the retention comes at every phase when people become aware of your business, telling them your brand story, getting them indoctrinated to your beliefs. If you don't believe that wealth is your birthright, then we're just not a good fit. And I can repel you in the awareness stage before we yep. even get on the sales call. Once you get to consideration, I'm going to tell you the truth about my system. Once you get to the intention phase, I'm going to be honest about the investment. And once you get to the purchase phase, I'm going to be honest about our work together. That is why my loyalty phase kind of writes itself. I don't really have to do all the pushing and pulling to get mm -hmm. people to renew. They're looking forward to renewing their budgeting for renewing. They've already cleared it with their CFO because A, they got a win up front because we customized that solution to them and they never felt like they were being misled or taken advantage of. I have a very ethical sales process and it starts with your marketing and your messaging. So yes, when I meet people who tell me they can't retain clients, yeah, maybe it's the program, but more likely it's that their marketing and what they sold people into and the outcome that their program gives are incongruent. And yes. people get in the program and go, mm, 
This isn't what I thought I bought. But women are trained to be nice. So we keep paying, even though we don't get results. We keep showing up to the meetings, even though we hate the coach or the program or the peers. And we thank God when it's finally over and they stop charging our credit card. And we might not badmouth you, but we don't speak favorably of it. And now you're back on the prospecting hamster wheel, which don't get me wrong. I'm the queen of prospecting. I don't care. I'll get a new lead today. But wouldn't you rather keep your best clients instead of having to replace them all the time? And that's what I like my clients to. Let's stop replacing and chasing and let's start like attracting and retaining. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And and everything that you're talking about and you're revealing and uncovering, it's, I mean, I've been in the industry since 2011. It was like that back then. I mean, we were we were seeing so many incongruencies back then. And honestly, it hasn't changed. Maybe it's gotten worse. On that note, and we'll close with this, two things, Natalie. Number one, what from your perspective, what does the future of the online coaching and education industry look like? Start with that. And then let's wrap it up with what's next or new for you and how can people connect with you? I love both of these questions. I think that the future of online business is just like the present. I think that as long as women who are experts, who are geniuses and who are ethical, continue to be timid, shy and undercharged for their services, that the loudmouth charlatan bros will continue to dominate. I don't think they're going anywhere because they're making multi-millions of dollars. Why wouldn't they? Exactly. And they're getting emboldened because we ain't showing up like we need to be showing up. So they're like, oh, there ain't even any competition over here. I'm just going to scam unabashedly then. And honestly, Natalie, we have to stop blaming them. We have to stop blaming them and calling them out. Blaming them. We have to stop it. I see it all the time. I hate the charlatan bros. Then out market them. Out sell them outperform them, outwork them, outsmart them. This is a game of survivor, okay? We are on an island with rice, okay? If your business makes less than a million dollars a year, you are scraping on the sand, hoping not to get fatal sunburn. You are on the island. Phil is telling you to run for your life. And there are people with more resources, more muscles, more strength, more stamina, more physical fitness, and they are going to run circles around your ass if you don't decide that this is my year and boss up. Complaining about the bros is the most fruitless thing you can do on the internet. Nobody cares. They're in their mansion in, in you know, Manhattan. They can't even hear you. I'm in Alabama, okay? The second poorest state of, uh, in the United States. You think anybody in their penthouse in in Lajala gives a damn about what I think about their multi-million dollar business. No. They don't care. Keep it to yourself. If you don't like them, outsell them. But as long as you say, maybe next year I'll launch. Maybe next year I'll raise my prices. Maybe next year I'll get PR. Maybe next year I'll write a book. Maybe next year I'll get better clients. Maybe next year I'll do that mastermind. As long as you keep delaying the work that the world needs, you continue to give these people carte blanche to wreak havoc on the internet and make your industry look bad. Yep. It's crap. So I think the future looks just like the present until women do something about it. That's what I think. There you um, go. Word from Natalie. Right. In terms of what's next for me, it's, it's phenomenal. It is the best thing ever. Okay. I am getting back to my wealth roots. I am relaunching my wealth concierge service. I am going to create a program for Henry's high earner, not rich yet. 
So um, it will likely be called New Money, and it is going to be for first-generation, high-earning entrepreneurial women. Oh, amazing. Women that don't have a blueprint. You don't have a family office. You don't have a trust fund. Your mom wasn't rich. She was a school teacher. Your grandparents weren't rich. You don't have an attorney on retainer. You don't even know what attorneys on retainer do. But you're paying yourself a lot. Where's it going? You're scared of the stock market. Should you be investing? A lot of my clients actually have financial advisors. They don't ever talk to them because there's some guy at Merrill Lynch that got their account from when they were in college and they don't even know how much money to put in it. He never calls. They never have meetings. Their portfolios are underperforming. I had a young lady come to me last week in my DMs and tell me that. Now, I have securities license. Most people don't, don't know this. They're active. You can go on broker check and find me. When she told me that her investments were underperforming, I was baffled because the market has been bullish, meaning up for the last 14 years. 14 consecutive years of year over year growth. There ain't been one year of down in the stock market in 14 years. So if your portfolio is down, what in the hell is going on? I ran over a thousand Monte Carlo simulations, 1000 simulations of different economic events. You know how many of them were down? One. I was going to say like 1%. Yeah. Yeah. One point one point zero one point zero one percent. Yeah. Yeah. So how is her how is how is her down? And like she doesn't know why her investments are down. So I wanted to give a a a wedge because there's a big gap. There's a gap between I'm middle class, I work a job and I invest in my 401k, and I'm wealthy enough to put a 10 million in my portfolio with my guy at Charles Schwab. There's a yeah. huge chasm. Yes. Women just kind of fall in the crevice because we don't have the education and we're learners, right? We're super smart. So we want to, you know, educate ourselves. Like, should you be in educating yourself in the stock market or should you be participating in the stock market? And women do the same thing with stocks that they do with business. They learn and perfect and learn and perfect and learn and perfect. I need you to invest. I need you to put some money over there. So I'm excited about. My renaissance, if you will, as a wealth catalyst and really getting back to my roots. If you ask my clients and I did client surveys, um, over 60 of my past clients, how they perceived me and where they saw this going, less than a third see me as a sales coach. Wow. Um, only 10% who are making more than 250K a year see me as a sales coach. Mm-hmm. Most people see me as a mentor, a guide, a sage. Mm-hmm. So I'm 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 elated to be putting that out there with the rebrand. Um, but it's gonna be powerful because there's so many women that are paying themselves 100, 200, 300, 400k right now, and they do not know what to do with it, and they're afraid of it. And once you get afraid of your money, then you withdraw, you contract, yeah. you go, oh no, I don't want to make a mistake with this money. Yeah. Maybe I should stop paying myself bonuses, or worse, maybe I should give it to someone else. Maybe I should give it all the way to charity. Maybe I should give it to my husband. Maybe I should hire this high ticket coach. Maybe I should. I've had people have seven figure launches, get rid of all the money in a month. Oh, Why? yeah. Because they're terrified. It's not, they're terrified of that money. I had a client who was having live events where she was making 500 to 750K in like three days. Two months later, it was all gone. Wow. She got to where she had to do the live event just to stay solvent. 
And I'm like, where is the money going? But it's all in that money story and that fear. And so I want to give clients a new opportunity to create a, a new wealth identity. And so we'll have that assessment coming out at the top of the year. Um, new podcast. Podcast is going to be called Genesis because, um, you know, A, I'm a Christian. So I thought that would be a really good, you know, lead back to the Bible. And B, it's going to be the first step for those nouveau riche individuals. It's going to be their wealth Genesis. So. I'm, I'm elated. I'm so excited. Like big things happening. Like my, my life will forever be changed. The women's lives will forever be changed. And I think because I come from finance with white men, <laughs> right? I was the only black person in my office for seven years. And people thought I was the help and the janitor and the secretary and everything else, the intern. I was like, no, I'm your financial advisor. I have a suit on. Yeah, like I'm Come running on. the show, by the way. Come on, I have a suit on. I have on, Louis, I have on like Louboutins. Like, respect me. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, I have a fancy briefcase. They didn't care. Now, you know, I was told, Natalie, this doesn't have merit. This this offer doesn't make sense. The only thing that makes sense is investment management. If you're not managing portfolios, then what are you doing? And I got that rhetoric so long, I think I believed it. But the truth is, you can't ever get to investment management if you don't have the belief system and the money story together. And everyone is different. I can tell you that I primarily want money so that I can live a comfortable lifestyle. I don't want to have to cook. I don't want to have to clean. I want to be able to travel and go where I want. If this chair is uncomfortable, I want to be able to call my assistant, have her research some options, have her buy them with my company credit card and ship it to my home. And then I want someone to come and assemble. That's the kind of lifestyle that I want. But everyone doesn't want that. Some people are philanthropists by nature. Uh-huh. Some people are luxury. They they don't they want to they want Prada. They want that new Alexander McQueen dress that's sixty eight hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. I can't speak to everyone's wealth ambitions the same way, right. and they're all valid. And I feel like the only one that gets illuminated is the give it all away pile, right? The Bill Gates Foundation. You want to be a billionaire so you can give it all away. Most of the people in my audience have no interest in getting really rich just to give it all away. Right. So where do those people go for a blueprint? So I really want to give a roadmap. I'm kind of thinking about having a portal that looks like the game of life. Mm-hmm. You know, where there's like little milestones to gamify it for people. Yeah. I'm excited about it. it. Megan, it. six months from now, you're going to be like, oh, oh, Nat was not playing. Oh, we'll oh, have you back. Not- you got to come back on the show and we'll talk yeah, about it. Yeah. You'll, you'll be, you'll be like, Wow, she did it. Yeah. So we're gonna have a follow-up episode with you. So make sure remind me of that. Tap me on the shoulder and find me. Um, You'll love it. It's needed. This what you're talking about is missing. It's missing from business coaching, business consulting category. It all it doesn't completely. It's it doesn't exist. No, I'm not saying no one's doing very few. There are people doing the woo energetic side, and that's great. Oh, yeah, for sure. Never. But it, it never comes practical. I want people I was going to say that it's a practical it's, side. The practical There's no practical. I want people to wake up and go, okay, based on this assessment Natalie gave me, my new wealth identity is going to be the strategic philanthropist. I'm going to make this money so that I can give back in a way that is in alignment with my goals and values. So now I know what I'm going to do. I've laid out my money. I've got my spending plan. You know, based on what I have going, she's convinced me I do not need to spend my whole life trying to get educated about the stock market. I just need a simple strategy. Here's the strategy. I'm going to deploy it. I'm going to do my dollar cost averaging. And we're just going to work down this list. And six months from then, they can wake up and go, I feel confident in my money. Yes. Like on a scale of one to 10, I am a 10. 
I know that I have my my protection in place, my life insurance, my trust, my will. I know that I have my investment strategy. And stocks aren't the right investment for everybody. Some people like bonds. Some people like real estate. But you need to be able to tell me why. When I meet people who want an options trade and I ask them why, they can't tell me. The reason you trade options is so that you can get cash now from the volatility in the market while not selling the underlying asset. That's the answer. But if you don't know that, then you have no business trading options, right? So I'm always curious when I meet people who are like, this is the strategy we've decided on. And I'm like, great, what is the outcome you're trying to achieve? And they can't tell me. Or worse, they give me an outcome that their strategy doesn't achieve. It doesn't match up, yeah. It doesn't match up. They're like, oh, I want income from my investments. Great. So I bought 100 shares of Apple. Okay, how's that going to get you cash? I I don't understand. Yeah. Right. Like, why didn't you take that money and buy like a tax lien or rental property? Why didn't you get in like a real estate syndicate or REIT, something that's going to give you a quarterly disbursement? I don't understand how. Well, it's going to make me capital gains. And then when I sell it, I'll have money. Gotcha. So you're you're ready to pay short term capital gains tax. What's capital gains? Tax? I was going to say, like, didn't see, know about that. <laughs> see, see, I'm like, this is, but this is what happens when people only give folks the what and not the how. So yeah. I'm excited to give people the why so they can achieve unapologetic wealth. The what, the vehicle that's going to get them there. The when, the order of operations where it makes sense. <laughs> Right. And then the how go to this website and open this brokerage account in that order. So then people are like, oh, this is so refreshing. And of course, I'll be there for like mentorship as the little mindset demons creep up and tell you you're not good enough, smart enough, worthy enough, wealthy enough, important enough to have these comforts of life, you know, but um, I'm elated. Um, The one on one version will be called Opulence. The group program will probably just call it New Money or Nouveau Riche. It depends. My branding person is on top of it, but I'm excited. Like if you are newly affluent or stepping into that stage, there is no support for you. And I hate to say it, but especially in the black community, when we write financial books, they are for lower middle class in general. You know, you look at the budget Nista, who I love her work. Don't get me wrong, but she was a school teacher and she writes content for people who are still making that kind of money, you know, but like, so what happens when you get a business that's making a million dollars a year? Who's coaching those people? I have not seen anything, especially led by women for those new wealthy individuals. It's either already rich or you're it's 40K a year or a million a year. And I'm like, you know, there's a huge swath of people in between. And I think we assume, oh, you're paying yourself 300K a year. You have financial literacy. No, they don't. No, no, they don't. You'd be surprised. They have an accountant or a tax attorney who is telling them they have to pay themselves a reasonable yeah. salary to be an S-Corp. That's what they have. And so they're taking yeah. the money. And then what happens? I know. And, and it's so I'm, I'm, I, I know God wants me to do this. And I know he'll bless it. So I'm, yes. I'm really thankful. Well, you're going to change the game for a lot of people. For a and lot of people. I imagine a lot of people listening to this are like, sign me up for that and let me know when it opens. So where can people follow you, get on your radar? Oh, find out all the things? They should um, go to my website, unapologeticwealth.com. Um, or you can follow me on Instagram at unapologeticwealth. Or you can follow me on Facebook. Um, I'm the only Natalie Bullen that you will find. Bullen is not a last name that people have, which is a blessing because my maiden name was Johnson. So, Mine too. Um, 
Really? Yeah. yeah. So everyone's last name is Johnson. So I am so blessed to be married to Dave because he has given me a name that although I have to spell it a lot, um, no one is using that. So that's where people can find me, book a call with me, learn all about me, um, get into my private podcast, which is wrapping up. I'm super excited. I did 260 episodes. So it's one episode every weekday for a year. Wow. <laughs> the discipline it has instilled in me. And it's about, there's some in there for wealth, sales, mindset, discouragement, walking in the path that God wants you to, shedding old friends and, and relationships that you've outgrown and making friends and hobbies and like being a holistically wealthy person, you know? So, um, it's fantastic. And, uh, yeah, people can follow me on all the socials. Well, I'll get you the links. You can put them in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. They're all in the show notes. Uh, thank you so much for who you are and you're just such a beaming, bubbling light of love and un unapologetic confidence and wealth building. I love it so much. I love your energy. I love what you're about and what you're building next year is just. That to me feels like that's going to be like your legacy. That's like you leaving your legacy and your markets with that right there. Yeah, it's going to be um, amazing. I'm excited about the first iteration and um, the little tips and tricks I have. Um, I think I'm going to have it culminate in a retreat where we can start to embody that wealthy lifestyle in person mm -hmm. and meet each other. Mm -hmm. Yay. So, amazing. yeah, I'll definitely be back. <laughs> yes, we'll, we'll do it. We'll do it. We'll do a follow-up to this. Well, thank you so much, Natalie. You're welcome. Thanks. Thank you so much for tuning into the Built to Last show. If you're loving the show and have gotten any value out of it for your business and life, would you mind doing two things? Subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode and leave us a review. Our listener reviews helps us get more visibility and reach more people just like you. Help us make a difference for more entrepreneurs by helping them grow their businesses in a way that aligns with their life, family, and core values. Thank you so much for being part of our community and tuning into the show each week.